Hello, and welcome to the Salem at Home podcast, a community of Christ followers that seeks the well-being of all people, a place where you can connect, commit, and continue to grow in your faith. I brought a little something extra for everybody today, the fathers, the mothers, uh, so that you wouldn't feel disappointed. So Tim, I'm just going to go ahead and give you a little candy to pass around for whoever wants it. Now, this is a, these are, we couldn't find Mars bars. Did y'all ever have Mars bars, the official chocolate caramel like you can only apparently find it online or at Cracker Barrel now so we weren't able to get them so the best we could do was the Mars Company which is where all these candies are made and uh, the old tagline Sam and I discovered in at least in Australia for the Mars bar was that a Mars a day um, helps you work rest and play which is quite you know quite a promise of it's a, a lot better than an apple in my estimation right. but that's their that's their slogan we should note that in the united states at the same time it was something like uh an almond in every bite i'm like <laughs> how boring is that an almond in every bite so we're going with the australian slogan uh that the the candy a day helps you work rest and play and it seems like a perfect day to kind of talk about those themes because father's day uh, and the honoring of fathers, whether you have a great relationship with your father, uh, whether, whether you didn't have a great relationship with your father, the topics of work and play and even rest really, I think, are a good topic on Father's Day. And uh, last week, Sam talked to us a little bit about rest and the, un- spirit, the unspiritual discipline of saying no and boundary setting and how God gifted us Sabbath uh, so that we could experience rest and we could experience freedom. Um, and that's such a powerful way for us to reflect the image of God as our Father, as people who can both rest and who can be free, right? Uh, and let me just say here, let me give a little plug before you set us up for today. Um, growing up, we, we weren't allowed to eat candy in the sanctuary. We were, that was a very strict rule. Some of you may feel that way or have felt that way, but just in the spirit of play that's right. and freedom mm-hmm. today, we encourage you to go ahead and eat your go candy. Go ahead and open if your you candy. Want to have that, so. If you're allergic to peanuts, please don't, don't get those <laughs> Snickers. Um, I'll eat all the Snickers that you don't. You got to get a refill, Tim. Come on back up. There's, there's another refill over here. This is, on Father's Day, this really is a good day to continue the conversation. We talked about no last week or the rest, but if we're going to talk about work, play, and rest in light of this, this sort of slogan, uh, today I want to continue with the idea of work and play and where work and play fall into that. And I think it's, I mean, for me, it's a good way to remember and honor my father. Um, He's been gone almost six years now um, from from our life. But there was a lot growing up, and I think you would agree, Aaron, where we we learned a lot about work and what work meant from our fathers. And I assume that there are a lot in this room today who probably have learned either from your father or your parents what it means to work and be involved in work. And uh, so, you know, even though that has caused in our life, ironically, because our fathers are not the same people. um, That's not ironic. I guess that's a good thing, right? It's important to acknowledge. Less certain Western North Carolina (laughs) counties you come from, but we won't get into that. Um, but, um, But, you know, it causes both areas of growth in our life, and you may have discovered this, it also causes moments of tension in our marriage. Um, And I think we'll unpack that a little bit today. Um, But our dads really didn't approach work in the same way, did they? No. Uh, Just for anybody who doesn't know, I met Sam when I was 13, so I was hanging out with his parents most all through high school, in a middle school and high school. So we had a pretty um, up-close look at each other's family life. Um, But yeah, your dad was very much um, work uh, and 
my dad was a good balance of work and play. So some of you have met my dad. He lives over in Buncombe County. But uh, my dad chose a career that he was passionate about. His degree was in agricultural and horticulture. And dad, if you watch this, happy Father's Day. Um, but he, he was able to work for Cooperative Extension. He was able to own his own landscaping company. He had a, a newspaper that was associated with the, the farming life or particularly with... Uh, with the landscaping ideas and visions that he had. And so work for him seemed enjoyable. It kind of filled him up. It was something that when he came home, he didn't have to recover, you know, for days and weeks on end. Um, and my father never took himself too, too seriously. Um, and he also always took vacation and, uh, and took us with him, which was a bonus. Yeah, and, and that, is, that is not my dad, right? My dad was like all work and no play. It was just kind of how he grew up. He didn't have a central, passionate career that he followed his whole life. In fact, it was like kind of wherever the wind blew, he was like exploring some new entrepreneurial endeavor. So he owned uh, a newspaper. He owned radio stations. He started a TV station from scratch. He, uh, what's that? Pet store. Pet store, yeah. He did a pet store in Hendersonville. He actually owned like kind of a precursor to a Sam's Club back in the uh, 70, late 70s and 80s in Forest City, like downtown. Uh, I've tried to find the location, but he did about everything. He didn't enjoy it necessarily. In fact, I remember a lot of my life, uh, work was kind of stressful for him, trying to drum up work or figure out where, where work would be. So it, it didn't really fill him with a lot. But he, you know, we did rest and we did vacations, but usually those vacations were a necessity, right? Because they're, they're recovery for him. Uh, and his life. And I mean, Aaron even got to see that some growing up when she'd come over on Sundays because he was also a pastor. And so Sunday afternoon was recovery. I mean, it is for a lot of us, but for preachers in particular, dad would like crash somewhere in his room. Um, and so it was in that regard, the, the play and the rest or the play and the work are very different between the two of our dads yeah. um, as, as we come to that. Yeah. But uh, I always admired Sam's dad because he was super entrepreneurial um, he was such a powerful vision caster. He gave me some of my jobs in high school. So I worked at the burger station that he owned, and I worked at the mall at the nail booth that he owned. Come here, let me shine your nails. <laughs> yeah, that was that, me. Yeah. Uh, so it was, it was really uh, something that I admired about him, and I didn't always see that kind of crash. I didn't always uh, recognize how distant the work and the play were for him. Um, because I was benefiting from his creative ideas. And, and while, while she was benefiting, I was the slave laborer on the other end of the spectrum. So for me, I was not benefiting. And I could look at her dad and be like, I really admire this, this move towards rest. Edisto uh, was like the place y'all went and I got to go along. And I just enjoyed always being in that and being a part of it uh, yeah. together. One of the things that's, that we, as we were talking through this, though, that's interesting about our dads is that their work ethic, their play ethic was really grounded in Scripture. Mm -hmm. um, it, it pulled for them very different ways that it manifests, but they had a faith basis to what they were thinking. And so um, there's a scripture that I think you put in the slide deck here from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And this is, this is what I think summarizes yeah. your dad's perspective on work from what I observed. Yeah. It's this one that says, even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. And y'all may know this and y'all may love this. But the you may one, say it to your children. The <laughs> one who is unwilling to work will not eat or <laughs> shall not eat. Yeah, that's so, why I was washing dishes when I was four years old. Uh, I, had, I had to work, figure out some way to eat. Yeah. And uh, his dad just had this Protestant work ethic, right? There's a way that if you're a believer, there's a certain way that people say you should work. It's a, it's a life of duty and obedience and service. And uh, most of us, many of us, if you grew up in the church, have a sense of that. Um, but 
Work was for work's sake. Didn't always have a, a purpose, except this is just the next thing to do. And play was for work's sake. As Sam said, it was just a process of having to recover so he could get up and go at it again. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and your dad was grounded in Scripture, yeah. too, but not that Scripture. Right. <laughs> like that, I, I mean, in fact, when we were talking about this, I immediately kind of thought of one that he said over and over again. It was John 15, 15. But you have to understand, most of us in our life... Our work ethic is equated to our worth ethic. Right? We put those two together a lot of times in how we operate in the world. Ken does not do that. That, that was never her dad. He did not equate his worth and his work together. And a lot of that was grounded in this passage, John 15, 15, which I think we have as well. He would, and I remember him saying this even to her mom, Kathy. We are God's friends, not servants, right? And it comes from John 15, 15, which says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. We are the friends of God because that, uh, for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. So he had a sort of playfulness to his work, uh, and he played for the sake of playing, not so he could just recover, um, but because he had in some way lived his life free of the bondage. Uh, free from the bondage that work provides, always wrapping up your worth in what you do and, and where you fall. And I think that, that's really, really important for your dad and obviously creates the distinction between our parents growing up and even now in our marriage. And the distinction between us yeah. and how so, we function our So house. here's what I want to do real quick. Uh, just so we kind of know where we're at today, if you lean more as a work person in the world, you don't have to have a, you know, like a formal occupation, but you lean as a work person in the world, raise your right hand up for me real quick. Just kind of see where we are. You lean as a work person. Good, good, good. All right, if you lean as a play person in the world, go ahead and put your hand up. I'm a play person. We got a few hands. Got a few hands. Yes, I knew that Tim would be our friend. <laughs> Loud and proud, I meet my candy up front. That's right. So we see kind of the distinction of where we lie. And again, this is a little bit complicated because I imagine some of you are out there going, I work, but I kind of I kind of want to raise my left hand. Were you in that scenario? You know, you don't, you don't like the idea of just raising one or the other, but you kind of feel this tension between the two. You might just want to put them in between like this, you know, uh, and, and live that way. I think that's natural. And here's the reason I think that's natural. Because a lot of us live in what I would classify as a divided life. We have, we have a variety of lives that we hold on to. And it almost appears as if we're different people in those different lives, Uh, And this particularly comes up in the area of work and play, is that we can live a divided life in this this area. And the problem with living a divided life, as we've discovered in our marriage and in life in general, the problem with living in a divided life is that we end up having so many selves that we no longer know who we are or who God made us to be. When you live in these divided cells, when you segment these things out, we forget who we are, who God made us to be, and how we can live into this. And this makes life heavy, it makes it hard to operate, and it's really heavier than it ever was intended to be, for that matter. Yeah, I can remember a conversation we had where Sam was kind of in full recovery mode, and I'm like waiting to go do something as a family, make a memory. I'm like, let's, let's go do something. Let's, let's do something amazing with our kids. And he's like, oh, I just, uh. and I was like, Okay, you need like extra days off so you can have a day to recover and then a day to actually enjoy your life. Um, And Mm -hmm. it was kind of a Mm -hmm. a game changer for us in this conversation about like striking the balance a little bit better. But the scriptures encourage us 
a lot about working and putting forth our effort and taking responsibility and being good stewards of what we've been gifted and given. But the scripture also gives us some insight into play and to uh, releasing control, right? To having some fun, to trusting God, to experiencing joy. That's what the power of the Holy Spirit does is, is comfort us and give us a life of joy. Um, and uh, so it doesn't have to be this dull drudgery of life, not only the work life, work meaning your vocation or in your own home, but even the work of the church, right? Uh, there's a long history of the church kind of becoming work, like you work your job and then you come work for the church. And it's that duty and service and obedience piece without a lot of joy for some folks. Um, but God didn't really intend us to pick this one or the other, to be a worker or to be a player. Mm -hmm. He wants us to live this integrated life. And for those of you in the room who share the faith with us uh, and call ourselves Christians, the idea is that when life gets heavier, harder, more stressful, like mm, uh, maybe 2020 would be a good example of that, um, that we are invited to go lighter in those areas, to move lighter in those areas. Yeah, because I, I, I've referred to this a few times now, but the original idea of work, we talked about this some last week, God worked in creation, worked six days, rested one day. That original work that we see is the undivided life. In fact, if you go back and you look at the invitation he gives to us in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it says, the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden to work it and to care for it. And that work that he assigns to us in that space right there is a work of living an undivided life where we are connected with the soil, we are connected from the very thing that we came from. And it's only the curse of sin that starts to change work over to toil. And it becomes burdensome for us. And, and that's what we see really in just the next chapter. Listen to what, he, uh, what the author says in Genesis three seventeen: Cursed is the ground because of you. Remember the ground where you came from. That you, were, that you were born out of. It's now your enemy. Though through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life, it will produce thorns and fit thistles, so it'll again turn on you, and, for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. In this case, work is no longer life-giving. Work is no longer creative. Work is toilsome and life-taking. It becomes a burden for us to live into that, uh, and it becomes hard for us. That's the heavy part that you're talking about in terms of the joy and relationship there. Yeah, yeah and I think, I mean, I think it's important to say we can work hard, um, and it still be different than the toilsome existence, right? I'm a fan of hard work and getting my hands dirty, so we're not, we're not definitely not speaking against that. But um, I think about the stories through Scripture about the Israelites who lived in captivity to the Egyptians. They were in bondage, and it was hard enough, you know, being bossed around by someone else and not having the freedom that you needed to have. But then the Egyptians lay, leveled layer after layer of complexity. When they went to build bricks, uh, some of you may know the story of how they, were, they, uh, they limited their supply of straw and basically said, I want you to produce at the same level with less supply. Some of y'all know what that's like in your world, whether it's at home or in business, to do more with less. And they felt the weight of that and things got heavier and heavier and heavier. And so much of scripture is full of this, the, their journey of suffering, their journey of toil, their journey of struggle, but it's also laced with the playfulness of God and the mm -hmm. promises of God, right? So we know that God promised he would liberate them and did liberate them from that life of bondage. We know uh, that, that he promised and did bring them to a land that was full of milk and honey and something that was hopeful and, and full of joy, even though there was still some, um, some things to face there. We know that he accompanied them the whole way through that toilsome path 
with, you know, a, a fire and a cloud in the ways that he manifest himself so he could help lead them. He raised up leaders to get them along on their journey, even though they were like, we don't like this leader. And he's like, well, we can work it out. Uh, time after time, God showed up and we see the integration of this playful God, this joyful God who says there's still something wonderful to be had even in the midst of this toil that you're enduring and this journey that you're walking and I think one of the most important things we can do as Christians, uh, at least this has been something that's come alive in my heart, is to develop a play ethic that's as strong as your work ethic. Mm -hmm. For those of mm -hmm. you that raised your hand and said, yes, work, I like to work, I'm known for my work, is to develop a play ethic that's as strong, not secondary, not a once in a while thing, but as strong as your work ethic. And it might rub against what you've been taught or what you taught your own children. It certainly rubs against uh, some of the things I was thought, taught, but it brings us to the fullness of how God made us, the fullness mm -hmm. of who we are, the fullness of relationship with our God who didn't just make us to produce and perform, but to enjoy the creation that he has made. And um, it kind of boils down to what you think about the kingdom of God. You know, we talk in like theology classes about this concept, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is upon us. The kingdom of God is before us. The kingdom of God is unfolding. And, and for many of us, when we think about the kingdom of God, we think about like the end of the world. We think about heaven and hell. We think about, you know, the, the time of judgment. Um, and, and, you know, this idea of sort of like, am I on track so that I can be rewarded when this all shakes out, you know? Um, but really, that is kind of more that ascetic life, this life of like somebody like John the Baptist, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of rigid. John the Baptist, if you remember, he went and lived in the wilderness. He preached these like hard messages of repentance, which were necessary, but nonetheless, like firm and, and very forthright. He, he lives a life of fasting and very disciplined in those ways. And when Jesus shows up on the scene, the one to come behind him that he, he spoke about and sang his praises before he came, he gives us this image of the kingdom of God that is food and fellowship and childlike play. Um, and it is, full, it is hallmarked by joy, even though he does say that there is struggle and suffering along the way. And so the, the, the kingdom of God is very different in that way, or, or it's a more full uh, understanding of what it means uh, yeah, for the joy to come. I, but I think, that, I think that distinction between John and Jesus is important because you've got in John and Jesus the same tension that we feel a lot of times in our life uh, and, and how we operate. Will I pursue work because I need to be rewarded at the end and I feel like someone's going to judge me at the end or am I just going to live in sort of the playfulness that's before me? And, and that's the question that we have in front of us. Which vision of the kingdom are we going to live into? Right? Uh, seriously, think about this, this question right here and we'll put it up. Does my life demonstrate the toil of the curse? Am I going to live under the toil of the curse or am I going to live into the joy of the kingdom? Do I want all things to be restored in my life to where I'm working and living and enjoying that? Because this is the life that ultimately Jesus points us to is how we can live into the joy of the kingdom. And, and we see this all throughout Scripture where there's a story of a group of people who want to pursue that sort of joyful existence. In fact, the prophets did this all the time. One of them, Zechariah, um, he would talk in explicit detail about the playfulness of the kingdom. And he did this in a place where he was subjugated by another country in the middle of, of uh, Babylonian exile. So Zechariah comes on the scene. In Zechariah 8, he's sitting as a slave in a foreign land, and he looks forward to a different type of reality. And look at the way he describes it. 
He says, this is what the Lord says, I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord will be called the holy mountain. This is what the Lord Almighty says, once again, men and women of ripe old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each of them with a cane in hand because of their age. They won't have to work anymore under a slave master. They won't have to uh, go out into the fields anymore. They'll be able to relax and rest in their rocking chairs on the edge of the city and look at what they're looking at, or listen to what they're looking at. The next verse goes on, says, the city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. Right? This is the joy that Zechariah is looking forward to, saying that God wants to transform the world, lift the weight of the curse off of them. And I think this is exactly what Jesus is getting at when his disciples have, you know, there's some children in front of him, they're trying to shoo them away. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Don't send them away. In fact, he says in Matthew 19, let the little children come to me. Don't hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. This is what, this is their belonging. This is who they are. Yeah, the life that we get to live under God is, is similar to what Zachariah envisioned all those years ago. And it's this playfulness and joy that is found like it's found in children. Uh, I saw Brady dancing his way out of here. <laughs> and uh, that's exactly what we're looking yeah, for, right? right? We're so restricted so and so fitting for today. limited and so uh, fearful of, of what it would mean to just kind of cut loose and enjoy life. Um, but the children have no fear of failure or embarrassment, very little. You know, it kind of grows over time. They, uh, they create out of pure joy. In fact, this weekend, mm -hmm. our son opened paint and painted his entire beanbag chair with his hand. And it didn't paint. produce joy in me, he but it ecstatic. produced joy in him. He was so proud of this. Uh, just this, And I couldn't be mad at him because he was so <laughs> full of joy about this masterpiece that he had created. Um, but they don't have this division within themselves of like how I have to be. So much so that our son was like running up the walls here a few minutes ago. I don't have to be different at church than I am on the playground. I'm like, oh, let me just divide you out a little bit for at least an hour here. Mm -hmm. They don't have that kind of separation of self that we all learn to have, and we sort of have to have to survive here. Uh, so I just wonder if you'll ask yourself, and we've asked this before, I'm sure, but like when is the last time you truly, genuinely allowed yourself to be childlike? I don't mean like immature, like you had a fight with your spouse and you acted like through a little tantrum. I mean genuinely free to enjoy wonder and adventure and joy, whether it's at work or at home or somewhere else in the community. And, and, and not just childlike so that you can go, oh, that felt good. Let me go back to my adulting life, right? But childlike just so that you can be you, just so you can rediscover you again. Um, I think it's a powerful gift that we've been given. And so most of us will do that on a good day, like when you went on vacation, right? You can kind of <laughs> cut loose a little bit. But like what about embracing childlike faith on the hardest day you're facing, on the most stressful decision you have to make? Uh, let there be a lightness that comes mm -hmm. upon you, especially at the, heavy, at the heaviest moments that come your way. When there is heaviness, God's invitation is to lightness. If you need to walk away from a decision, take a deep breath and say, I'm going to get a milkshake. Do it. Do it in the name of Jesus. Do it. Uh, do whatever you can to experience that kind of freedom in the heaviest moments, not just in the moments um, where, you're, you know, where you're kind of waiting for. And so instead of working harder this week, some of you, probably like me, probably like Sam, when life gets heavier, we work harder, we pick ourselves up by our bootstraps, we focus in. Instead of working harder, work lighter. Don't neglect, but work lighter. For those of you that are all play, you're like, I'm not even looking at what I have to deal with. 
and you're playing hard, instead of playing harder, if you find yourself in that extreme, we invite you to play lighter, 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 because when things get heavier, we're invited to lighter. Yeah. This is how God made you. This is how God designed you. This is part of why Jesus died for you, right, is so that you can embrace that freedom and that the kingdom, the, the, the kingdom of God would be a life of joy overcoming toil. And I know some of us will leave here today and be like, so how do I do this? How do I live a life that's not, uh, that's not separated out, that's not divided? How can I better <laughs> integrate my life together? And so I just want to kind of leave you with a couple questions to roll around in your mind, to carry with you. And the first one is one that I use and have used for quite a while. But it's when you're tempted to work harder, I need you to ask yourself, is it serious? Okay. And you don't have to be in a job to do this. You can ask yourself this question at home. You can ask yourself this question when you're stuck in traffic and, you know, you feel like this urge rising up. Is this really serious? Is it serious? Should I, should I take this serious? And, you know, and sometimes a helpful way to discern the answer to that is, is it important or is it urgent? I mean, I, if I get an email late Friday night and I feel like I need to respond to it right away, Aaron's like, why can't you respond to it on Monday? Is it important or is it urgent? Uh, and, and in our lives, one of the best ways to really get at the core of seriousness is answering that question or making that discernment right there between urgency and importance in our lives. And, and ultimately what I've discovered is that when it comes to seriousness, seriousness is something that we place a value judgment on. We're the ones who make it serious. We're the ones who determine how serious this really is and how, how important it really is. And so the weight of something being serious is in direct proportion to how seriously I make it, how much I have designed it. So ask yourself that question. The second question is, uh, if you know, don't wait until work is already harder. Even when you're working well, ask yourself the question, how can I play or how can I have more play, more fun, and more creativity in what I'm doing. If you are, are a, you know, an entrepreneur or a leader of a business or a leader in your society, how can you make your work environment more fun and playful and creative for everybody who's there and use that in that particular way? And you know, one of the reasons that this is really, really important is because you, and you probably discovered this in your most intimate relationships, the more intimate a relationship is, the more playful it is. We have some... Yes. <laughs> She did that this morning, and I was like, you're not going to do I that. I told him I was going to punch him she, if she he's still did that. <laughs> so when we're in the, in the depths of, of intimate relationships, we can have fun with each other. We do have fun with each other. We, we see health of organizations when organizations and groups of people laugh together. It's because there's a sort of intimacy that is bound together in the context of these relationships. And when things get hard in life, what's interesting is play becomes one of the first things to go. When it becomes difficult to manage in life, we push play out the window and we wonder why the intimacy in our relationships is lacking. It's because we've pushed that away. In fact, there's history of this. From 1910 to 1913, life got really hard for the citizens of New York City. So hard, population was booming, poverty was out of control, they didn't have a lot of indoor spaces for people to gather. They criminalized play. In New York City from 1910 to 1913, you could not play outside. Couldn't play baseball, couldn't play jacks. I don't know what else you couldn't play. Marbles. Marbles, whatever you, whatever you played in 1910, 1913, right? You couldn't do any of those things. In fact, it was so severe that more than 12,000 children were arrested because they were playing outside. 
things got heavy, the city of New York decided to get rid of play. And they started criminalizing. But we say when things get heavy, we need to reintegrate our lives. We need to figure out a way to pull that back in, to bring it back together in that way and not punish play wherever we find it in our world. Yeah, we, we uh, coronavirus felt kind of close to that, right? We couldn't mm-hmm. get outside and, and do all the things that we might like to do. But um, in our culture, you and I both know, play is kind of punished still, right? Especially if you're working uh, in an environment, there's that production piece of our culture. Play is punished. You're not arrested. You don't have to go to court for it anymore unless you cause some crazy damage or do something else illegal. But play in and of itself is not punished that way. But it is punished in that we kind of have to make people defend themselves. How many vacation days did you take, you know? Oh, I wish I had a job like that. I wish I had that kind of freedom. Oh, sure must be nice, right? We kind of throw a little shade at people who seem to find that work-life balance because we take so much pride in one or the other. But uh, that's just part of the the culture, the work-oriented culture is to push that shame. And we could speak on the other side too, but I think play is more uh, shamed and shunned in our culture than work for sure. Um, so it goes for both sides of the story. But I just want to say loud and clear before we leave today, in the middle of summer break, for those of you who have kids, in the middle of whatever work projects you've got going on, like God is not a God who punishes play. God is a God who invites us to play because that is the space of intimacy and relationship building and befriending and knowing who you are and whose you are and the plan and the path that he has for you. And so the God who plays will not punish you for playing. So be released to do it. Be released. And one more time. Don't be, don't be shy. Don't change your answers. If you lean work, I want you to wear that loud and proud this morning. I want you to just raise your hand if you lean towards work in your life. That's, that's your MO. You lean towards work. Just keep that hand up for a minute. And if you lean towards play, <laughs> I'm like, I may have changed people's minds after this. If you lean towards play, raise your left hand. Just wear that loud and proud. I'm going to put my right hand up. I feel bad even put my left hand up. <laughs> You're ashamed, aren't you? I am ashamed. It's true. Gene Sis told me you only work one day a week, so. <laughs> I think most people think that's true. Yeah. Show up. So I want to invite you to stand as we close this morning and actually lift both hands. I know, it's, we talked about bodily practice in the video that proceeds, but a hand for work and a hand for play because both hands up is a sign of surrender. This is by invitation, you're not forced. It's a sign of surrender to say, God, the God who created, we invite you into our lives. We invite you into our work this morning and ask that you would give us a playfulness, a playful spirit, a lightness and a levity in the places that are heavy and hard and full of decisions and stress. God, let us see you as one who plays. And God, in the spaces where we're playful and we enjoy the gifts that you've given to us in life, we enjoy the earth that you've gifted us and we enjoy the people that you've put in our path and we enjoy the hobbies that you've instilled in our hearts or, or given to us in our, with our hands, God, I pray that for those of us that lean towards all play, that you would help us to be reminded of the gifts that you've given us to steward and that those wouldn't be toilsome work, but that we'd find our way back to joyful responsibility. Lord, I pray on your people this morning with hands raised that you would give them the blessing of balance, not because we can achieve it in and of ourselves, 
because there's something always calling our name on either side, but because you have made us for all these things. Lord, every good and perfect gift comes down to us from you, the Father of lights. And so we celebrate both work, both play, and the opportunities before us. Give courage to those that are in bondage this morning. Those who can't break the cycle of work, give them the courage to step out in faith and play more with their family and find and be connected to their soul and their heart. God, give courage to those who play to take up the mantle of responsibility and to trust that what you have for them is a beautiful future and a labor of love and joy so that we can see the kingdom of God, the fullness of hope unfolding before us. We ask all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.